This is Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks, and welcome to my podcast series, The Voice of Leadership. Today's segment is all about celebrating women, and March is the month for celebrating the contributions of women, and particularly women's leadership. So what I want to do today is to share a bit about the women who have influenced my life, and in some cases, also my career path. And I'm going to go all the way back to the formative years and talk about those women first, and then come forward and share some more about women who came after the ones in the formative years. First, I will talk about my mother. My mother was a person who had the gift of conversation. She could speak and she could write and talk to anyone. Most of all, I remember her for her generosity and her thanksgiving. She was a person of tremendous gratitude. She was very, very generous with people. She was extremely creative and she had the entrepreneurial spirit, which I'm sure I get that from her as well. If you had a way that was blocked or closed, that didn't stop her. She would find another way, a new way to do something. So nothing stopped the mother. She kept on going and was endlessly innovative. I also was shaped by my maternal grandmother, and my maternal grandmother had the gift of hospitality. She was an excellent, excellent cook, and no one was a stranger. She would always invite you to her home. There would be lots of people there, great food. You couldn't find better food anywhere. And she just enjoyed people, and she enjoyed sharing life with them. And so I know that there's a part of me that takes a cue from her uh, cooking and also from her hospitality. And then on my father's side of the family, my paternal grandmother, my paternal grandmother is the one who really was raised and grew up on a, a slave plantation. And she was an excellent homemaker because she was the one who took care of the plantation owner's home. So she was the one who did the cooking and the cleaning and everything. And grandmother Rosa, she had a real bent for excellence in everything she did. She didn't have much. She was, in many ways, you would have to call her poor in terms of how my father grew up. Whatever she did have, though, she kept it in good condition. And she would take a broom and could do something with the broom that most people couldn't do with far more powerful equipment. So she didn't let any limitations stop her from taking pride in her home, excellence in her home, taking care of her family and her children. And she was a homemaker par excellence on all fronts. And then I want to mention my great aunt Jean. My great aunt Jean was the adventurer of the family and she still is. She was the one who did all the international traveling. She was very avant-garde, very artsy. And if anybody was getting on, she was the first person I knew to get on an airplane and go places. And she was always going places on the airplane. And back in those days, when you could go to the airport and see people off, we would go down to the airport and see her off on her various adventures. For many, many years, she lived in California, and that was a very exotic place from our perspective as we were from the East Coast. 
and you know traveled widely and had new experiences and met new people. That was my maternal grandmother's youngest sister. And my grandmother, my, my maternal grandmother, she also was a person who could meet strangers and people from all over the place and really enjoyed that a lot. And I have a lot of those qualities from them as well. And then I'll mention my godmother, Aunt Julia. Aunt Julia, she had a level of excellence in everything she did too. There was always going to be high quality in all of her undertakings. I especially admired her home and her taste in furniture and in decorations. To this day, she and I still have very similar tastes to one another. And I remember once my mother going to my Aunt Julia's house and then coming to me and saying, you know, your Aunt Julia has that same chair in her house that you have in your house. And sometimes my mother could exaggerate. So I thought she was really saying, oh, well, something similar. And not that it was exactly the same, but when I went to my Aunt Julia's house, she had the exact same chair. So we did have very similar tastes. We still do have similar tastes and various things. And Aunt Julia could do a little bit of anything. She could cook very well, especially baking. She makes the best crescent cookies that I've ever tasted in my life. I've always loved her crescent cookies that she made at Christmas time. She could sew. And when she made clothes for herself, they were beautiful. You would never know that they were made by anyone at home. They fit all the standards of professional tailoring. And that's how Aunt Julia is. And I really um, learned that excellence from her high quality in everything that she did. Next, I'll mention Sister Dungy. Sister Dungy was one of the ladies of the church where I grew up, and she was older than my parents. So in many respects, she was probably more like a grandmotherly kind of figure. And Sister Dungy was interesting because she was a librarian, a very learned woman. She was highly educated, and she was a lifelong learner. She believed in continuing to learn everything. And For my environment, she was a healthy living person. So my grandmothers, both of them cooked traditional soul food kind of food. However, Sister Dungy had learned to take that food and somehow make it more healthy. And so instead of cooking the cabbage all the way until it died, she would cook it and it would have a little crunch to it. She wouldn't necessarily put the meat in it and it was still delicious. So from her, I learned the beginnings of healthy living and I would consider myself a gourmet health cook even to this day. She also was a very godly woman and everything that she did, she had a sense of doing things right as well. And I learned from watching her. My learning with her was a lot observational because in her house, I'd go over there. She might decide that day she's going to clean the stove or that she's going to clean out the kitchen fan, you know, that's in the wall. She would take these things apart to the most minute detail that I didn't even imagine was even possible. And she would thoroughly clean all of these things. And at the same time, while she was cooking, cleaning, whatever she was doing, she would also be talking We would be having conversations. And even though she was a much older woman, she was not behind the times. And what I mean by that is no subject was taboo for her. We even talked about things like, well, what if somebody 
sexually assaults you or does whatever, how to even survive and get out of that with your life. She talked to me about things like that, which was not common, but way back then at that time and for her age group in particular. What was also interesting in this mentoring relationship is she had me to co-teach with her when she was teaching vacation Bible school for the first graders. And so I was a protege and I was learning how to teach others the Bible. And that was that has served me well all of these years in my life. Basically, I would say that she was a person who was a mentor and who came alongside me and just did life with me. I will always remember Sister Dungy as long as I can remember anything. She was a very important person in my life. Another woman from the church who I remember was Sister Hamlin. Sister Hamlin was a woman who was, she was very beautiful, gorgeous face, and her husband was a professional musician. And she was a larger sized woman at that time. And back then, they really didn't have plus size clothing. I don't know where she went or how she got these things, but she managed to have the most beautiful clothes in the world. And they were fitted to her figure in such a way that they were extremely flattering. She was stylish, no matter what her size may have been. And her clothes were colorful. Because back at that time, if you could find anything for plus size women, it would be frumpy, it would be black or just dark and ugly. Nothing Sister Hamlin had was ugly, and she wasn't ugly. And I used to go to her house a lot after church on Sunday, and we would have lunch together. And so what I learned from her is that beauty isn't all sizes and shapes. Do the best with what you have, because she maximized and highlighted the best of what she had. So in my life, some years postmenopausal, when I gained an extra 10 pounds, which really didn't look good on me, I just started a second wardrobe, a wardrobe for that size. And I also had a wardrobe for my regular size. And there were beautiful clothes in both wardrobes. I learned that from Sister Hamlin. And so whatever size I was, I'd go to that closet and pull out something nice that I could wear no matter what. Early in my career, as a psychologist, I would say I didn't see a whole lot of women role models back in the day was mostly older men, and in my world and life, mostly older Jewish men. And the picture I have in my mind, they were wearing tweed sports coats with corduroy patches on their elbows. They were researchers, they were academics, or Freudian types, who if they were seeing clients and patients, you could imagine the client was laying down on the couch. That that was kind of like my picture in the early days of psychology. So the women who influenced my life were mostly peers of mine. And we got together in peer scenarios and encouraged each other in that way. Two ladies in particular, we met monthly for a number of years. We were all consulting psychologists. We were peer role models, peer mentors to each other. And I tell you, I miss them to this day because of the ways that we would process cases that we were dealing with in our consulting practices and so on. Both of them have gone on and they have retired. And since I'm post-retirement in a sense and still out here, they left me and they went on to other um, vistas and they're no longer practicing in consulting. So two wonderful ladies who I'll always remember. I remember when I was in graduate school, and this is, of course, before 
going into the field of psychology. I was I was studying psychology. And in graduate school, my faculty was all male. There were no women faculty. There were no people of color on the faculty. It was mostly a male role model again. So when I think about in the academic environment, the woman who comes to mind who was most influential for me goes back to high school. And she was my 11th grade English teacher. And her name was Mrs. Ellen Oberfelder. What a wonderful woman she was, and she insisted on academic excellence. She was great at English grammar and at literature. I loved literature, so I was fine on that part. Wasn't so crazy about English grammar, but she would not let you get away with anything. Mrs. Oberfelder would make you correct whatever the errors were. And so my papers would come back, red lines everywhere, torn up, and when I went to college later, I recognized what a gift it was that I had this training from Mrs. Oberfelder, and I still had to learn even more in college. And I said to myself, I probably should have paid more attention while I was in her class. But she probably, I would say, is the teacher who influenced me the most. And the learning from her, I still use today in the writing that I do in my work. Currently, I have also a group of women entrepreneurs that I meet with on a monthly basis. And I called them the wise women group. Fabulous women. They're not psychologists like me. We're all in very different fields. However, they are an inspiration. And we encourage each other to really take big steps and to push ourselves beyond the normal boundaries to do something significant out there. I will say this, and most of you know this, I was an Army officer as well. And when I was in the Army, I would have to say the song that makes me think about the Army years was James Brown's song, you know, It's a Man's World. <laughs> in this song, It's a Man's World. And he says, then the part of the refrain, though, he said, but it wouldn't be nothing, nothing, he says, without a woman or a girl. So this song that James Brown recorded, he recorded it first in February of 1966 in New York City, and he wrote the song with a woman named Betty Jean Newsom. so they wrote it together. And I think that's significant, too. And when he's talking about it's a man's world, he talks about all the things that men create, all the things that men do, how they purchase things from one another, they make toys for their children, but over and over, he says, but it wouldn't be nothing nothing without a woman or a girl. And I think that that really is God's heart as well, that male and female together, man, we are the image and reflection of God. That's man and woman, which God called man. And so when we have both the male and the female energy operating together, it's a more complete picture of all the gifts and all the talents and possibilities that God has lent to a situation. So when I think back on the army years, I think it was good to have a little bit of a feminine energy and perspective in those it's a man's world kind of rooms that I was in over all those years. Later on, when I was working at the Center for Creative Leadership and I was a faculty member there, in those early years, we would have classrooms of about 24 people for the leadership training programs that we did with corporate leaders. And at that time, out of 24 participants, there would be weeks there were no women at all. And 
other weeks when there were one to four women. If you had four women, wow, that was considered a lot. Mostly there were men in those jobs at the time. And so companies weren't sending women to these premier courses that were for executive level men. Well, I say executives, but they were mostly men at the time. So at one point, And I should mention, when we did training programs, there were usually two trainers at the same time for these leadership courses. So two men could train together. That was something that CCL found was appropriate for the marketplace. And a man and a woman could also train together. They did not pair two women together. So there was one week that came up, and I really believe there was a shortage probably of male faculty members and male personnel and so my colleague, Dr. Roberta Krauss, she and I, we said, you know, we can do this program. There's no reason why two women can't train this leadership program. And so they were reluctant to have us go out there and do it. However, we did it. We ran that program for the week, mostly men in the class, although there were a few women as well. And we didn't disclose to the class until the end, at the very end of the week on the last day that this was the first time in the history of the Center for Creative Leadership that two women were training together. And they were shocked. And they said, you know, as far as they were concerned, it was an excellent experience. And they just couldn't imagine that they would have a class that didn't have the two of us. And so after that, we broke that ground and female-female pairings continued after that time. So I would always say, too, that in my career and in my life, I've always been a pioneer, probably on the front lines of doing something that was being done for the first time. And so that isn't just an example. also want to mention a colleague of mine who's been a friend and a role model in leadership. And her name is is Juana Bordas. And Juana is a powerful Latina woman. She's an immigrant to the United States and her family was from Nicaragua. I met her first at the Center for Creative Leadership when she came there, and she was already a powerhouse in her own right. And she was the founder of Mikasa Women's Center, the founder of the National Hispana Leadership Institute. Over the years, she has been an advisor to the Kellogg Fellows Program, a past vice president of the Greenleaf Center for servant leadership, and she's one of 50 leaders that was chosen by the Colorado legislature to design the state's future plan. She's won all kinds of awards, all kinds of acknowledgments as outstanding women in business, the Colorado Women's Hall of Fame, so many, so many that I can't name them all. She's also an author. Her first book was Salsa, Soul, and Spirit, which was award-winning. She's written a number of other books and has just released a new book, The Power of Latino Leadership, Ahora, and Ahora meaning now. What I learned from my colleague, Juana, was the importance of and the power of community building and community caring. She's quite an organizer and an activist and is serious about building capacity in the Hispanic community. She's a real champion for multicultural leadership, understanding that many different cultures have ways of leadership that have existed for generations. And these are powerful models that if we were to use them today, and to have a more collaborative framework, 
it would serve us well in the corporate boardrooms as well as in nonprofit arenas. So she is a great friend of mine and a great inspiration when it comes down to being on the front lines and thinking differently about so many things. She and I have had a chance over the years to partner together to do some significant work, many projects, and I'll just mention one because it leads into the next person I want to mention. Juana and I did a number of high-level leadership programs for nonprofit leaders, community leaders that were, these programs were funded by the Texaco Corporation at first, and then later by Chevron Texaco, and later by Chevron. And they would reach out and find leaders in the community who they wanted to develop and who they wanted to resource at a high level. And we designed programs to equip these leaders. And as part of that process, we worked with Marshall Goldsmith, and we also worked with Frances Hesselbein. And I want to talk about Frances Hesselbein because she was there every time that we did these programs. She would come in, she would do a portion of it, and then she would leave. Juan and I, we were the continuing thread throughout the entire week. Now, Frances Hesselbein, she was born in 1915, and she just died in December of 2022, at 107 years old. When I was working with her and she used to keep her age secret and under wraps, we estimate she was probably in her 80s and then into her 90s during the years that we were really working with her. The last time I saw her was on her occasion of her 105th birthday when they did a virtual birthday party through the University of Pittsburgh where her Leadership Institute resides at this point. And so Frances was there at the birthday party, 105 years old, and still looking glamorous and beautiful as ever. And what I really learned from Frances is, first of all, Frances was always herself. She would get this big chair. Have you put the big chair out there? She would sit down and she would have a fireside chat with the leaders that she was speaking to. She came from a significant family legacy of impact. Even though she came from that older generation, she believed in diversity. She believed in inclusion. And when she became the CEO of the Girl Scout organization and was leading in New York City from the New York City office, it was her idea that the Girl Scouts really had to modernize and they had to keep up with the times. And what that meant was we had to move from the Betty Crocker days and the days of conformist approaches. And so she wanted the Girl Scouts to really get leadership development and training. She wanted them to learn about STEM subjects, the science and the technology, the engineering and the math. And she wanted the Girl Scouts to look good. So she hired Halston and Bill Blatt to even design uniforms for the Girl Scouts. She was all about girls having an opportunity to be what they may not have even had a chance to be in the past. So she was very progressive-minded, progressive in her thinking. And she led as the CEO from about 1976 until about, I think, 1990. And for her work, she got the Presidential Medal of Freedom from Bill Clinton is the one who awarded 
her that medal because of her contributions, and that was in 1998. While she was the leader, she even added a dimension to the Girl Scouts that created the daisies, and the daisies were for kindergartners and first graders, so that even at young ages, she could reach a wider group of girls, including those who are in single-parent homes, and build into them. So this is even a lower level than the brownies when she created the daisies. The other thing she thought was important was that when you opened up that Girl Scout book, you should be able to see yourself, no matter who you were, what race or ethnic background you were from, how diverse you were. And so she insisted that there were multicultural pictures and depictions and descriptions of different cultural traditions and backgrounds so that every girl could look at that manual, find herself, and want to be a part of the Girl Scouts. And as a result of her work, the Girl Scouts increased the number of girls of color to 15.5%, which was unbelievable at the time. And they also increased membership in general up to about 2.3 million members. So she was a consummate leader of gigantic and tremendous uh, proportions all along the way. I would also say that following the Girl Scouts, she partnered with Peter Drucker and they had a leadership organization together and the foundation of it was nonprofit uh, management. So she and Peter Drucker, they ran that foundation, the Peter Drucker Foundation, for years until he died in 2005. And then Francis Hesselbein continued to lead it. They renamed it Leader to Leader Institute. And then eventually the organization moved to the University of Pittsburgh as the Leadership Forum. And so she's been involved in leadership and public service for a long time. And in fact, I knew that she did a lot of work with the military, which was of interest to me since I had been a military officer. And what I didn't know is that she was actually at West Point in 1951. And this is quite significant. In 1951 at West Point, she was the chair for the study of leadership at the U.S. Military Academy in the Department of Behavioral Sciences and Leadership. And when I was at West Point, they still had that department (laughs) at West Point. And she was the first woman and the first non-graduate to serve in that position. So 1951, that goes back quite a ways that she was already on the front lines, leading in some unusual ways in some unusual places. She had a saying that that pretty much characterized her and that everybody knows about her. (laughs) That is, she said, to serve is to live. That was her motto. I think that's pretty important. To serve is to live. And I think one of the reasons that I so admired Frances Hasselbein is because she had some values that were pretty profound, and they dovetail with my values as well. Her whole life is about to advance the art and science of leadership and public service. That's what she was really about. And she would say also that the bottom line is measured not in dollars and cents, rather in changed lives. And she also said, our times call for ethical leaders with a moral compass that works full-time. Now imagine that if we had ethical leaders who had a moral compass that worked full-time, what a beautiful world 
you know, this would be even more so than it is already. She also said that leadership is deeply personal and an act of love and care for others. I believe that too, that leadership really is about loving and caring for other people and creating the positive environments where they flourish and where they thrive and where profitability also happens as well. And she said, Francis said, leadership is a matter of how to be, not how to do. It's all about being. And you need to be first. And from your being then comes out what you ultimately end up doing. And about age, Francis says, age is irrelevant. It's what you do with your life that matters. Age is irrelevant. It's what you do with your life that matters. So whether you're young out there now and you're wondering, well, what do I have to contribute? Or if you're older like I am and you're thinking, hmm, do I still have anything to contribute? I would say yes, you have lots to contribute. And if you didn't, you wouldn't still be here on the planet. So God will keep you here as long as he says you have something to contribute. And look, Francis' life was dedicated to service, and she lived to be 107. There may be a formula in that in terms of longevity. I'll leave that for you to think about. What I want to close with today are some verses from Acts, the second chapter, and starting with verse 17. And Peter is speaking, and he says, he's reminding the early church of some prophetic words that first appeared in Joel, the second chapter, verses 28 through 32. So this is an Old Testament prophecy. And it says, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall see dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I just draw your attention to the fact that God's plan always from the beginning was to pour out his spirit on all flesh, men and women, that his kingdom might advance on the earth with all of the talent that he's put in both men and women. So as we celebrate women's leadership, please remember it was God's idea first. Enjoy this month. Celebrate the women leaders around you. You've been listening to The Voice of Leadership with me, Dr. Karen Wilson-Starks. And I want to give a special thanks to jazz saxophonist Ron McMillan for granting us permission to use his gifted music on our show. Thanks for listening. And remember to go to my website, transleadership.com, for more strategies, insights, and leadership resources.